Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Genesis 32. Um, if you're taking notes, this, this small paper is not for notes. This is going to be homework for later, so don't write on this, okay? Um, you can save it, set it to the side. But Genesis 32. Uh, in a couple conversations this week, I, I heard about fears that people have. Uh, one person was telling me about their fear of heights, an extreme fear of heights. And uh, her husband talked about his fear of small spaces, claustrophobia, which I share. I can relate with that one. Um, I talked to someone yesterday who said they were afraid of cake. Jordan was there for that conversation. A fear of cake. Um, we're all afraid of something, right? I won't go into it. It's a long story. Um, but you can go to phobialist.com and you can find the official or unofficial names for many fears. Fears like fear of computers, um, fear of teenagers. I mean, who doesn't have that, right? Fear of moths or fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. There's a name for that fear, I guess. And maybe we, we have that. We all have, we all have fears, don't we? Some of them are silly like that. Um, some of them are of our animals, you know, spiders or snakes. Um, some are specific things. Some are fear comes into our lives because of circumstances or situations in life that we face. Um, they cause us to be filled with distress or, or with anxiety. Um, deeper fears, not just a fear of spiders, but a, a fear of just circumstances that come into our lives. Some things that I'm afraid of. I was fearful this week as my son went under general anesthesia. That was scary for me. I had anxiety over that. I think my greatest fear right now in life is fear of failing as a father. That's not a fear of spiders, but that's a real legitimate fear. And we all have things that we're scared of. And some of them are simple and some of them are pretty deep and some of them we may not even know. So how does God help us when we're scared? How does God help us when we are filled with fear or anxiety? That's the question I want us to think about today. I'll give you a summary answer at the end. We usually kind of give a summary statement at the beginning, but we'll kind of build to it. Uh, but we're going to spend our, our time thinking about three truths that help us to understand how we are to face fear and anxiety. Three things that we can hold on to when fear and distress come into our lives because of circumstances or situations or people. And here in, in Genesis 32, we, we're going to watch Jacob deal with his fear. We're going to watch him deal with it in good ways and also in bad ways. Um, and as we look at Jacob, we'll see ourselves. So we saw last week, you remember Jacob and Laban, they kind of had their, their final spat. And, and we saw that Jacob trusted the Lord. Um, and he was vindicated. He was protected through divine intervention. He was protected through his own integrity. He was protected in amazing ways that he could never have imagined. And it was all for the glory of God and for the growth of his faith. But as he gets closer to Canaan, he's also getting closer to Esau. Esau, his brother, who he had wronged, this brother um, whose death threats were what actually had forced Jacob out of Canaan, and now he's coming back in to Canaan, and Esau is going to be there waiting for him. So with that in mind, let's pick up the story in Genesis 32, beginning verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. 
And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with my only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So having triumphed over one enemy in Laban, Jacob is now faced with someone who is much more daunting than Laban. Esau represents to Jacob not simply this brother who he had wronged, who had threatened to kill him, but he also in many ways represents Jacob's past. This is 20 years later. I don't know about you, but when I look back on certain events in my life, I would like to erase them from history and from my mind. Um, there are a number of memories that in, at inopportune times, they will flood my mind uh, at random moments, and I will literally sometimes shake my head as if in an effort to get it out of my brain so that it never comes back again. These are memories, maybe we all have these things you're embarrassed about, things I'm ashamed of, things I wish I had never said, I wish I had never done, places I wish I had never gone. And I think as Jacob thinks about the possibility of meeting his brother, he is also being forced to face all of his foolishness, all of his past actions and the things that he had done and said to his brother. Jacob has grown, he has learned, he's changed, but he knows that there is still pain back in Canaan that he has caused. It's as if he can sort of still see his father 
reaching out and touching the goat skins on his arms and the way that he had deceived him. He can maybe still hear um, Esau's almost primal cry when he finds out that he's been deceived. He can probably still see the tears in his mother's eyes from 20 years ago when he had left that that land. It's, a, it's hard to remember those things from his past. In the movie Shawshank Redemption, there's an older inmate. His name is, is Red. He's played by Morgan Freeman. And at the end of the movie, he's sitting in front of the parole board. And they are talking to him, and they ask him if he's rehabilitated. Can he be placed back into society? And in part of his response, he says this. He says, am I sorry for what I did? There's not a day goes by I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here, because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then, a young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try to talk some sense to him, tell him the way things are. But I can't. That kid's long gone, and this old man's all that's left. I've got to live with that. I feel like Jacob could have said that, you know? Jacob has to live with the stupid and the sinful and the terrible things that he has done in his past, the way that he has hurt others, the enemies that he's made, the words that he has said, the words that he's left unsaid. There are consequences to his actions and there are consequences to our actions that we still have to face. And there are times in life when all of that sort of comes flooding back to us. And it's almost as if at times we become like children again and we're filled with fear, we're filled with with distress. You know, maybe you've had that experience of going home. Have you had that of going back to the place where you grew up. You haven't been there for a long time, a place where maybe you were a totally different person. And it brings up sort of strange emotions and even temptations that you thought you were, you know, they were long gone, but going back to that place is difficult. The feelings of failure return. They have fresh power. What do we do with that, you know? What do we do with the distress that we feel? What do we do with the fears that we at times in life are forced to face maybe fears from our past maybe fears that have been influenced by our past or even just fear and distress in general how do you deal with that i think if we have eyes to see if we are children of god then fear reminds us in the midst of fear god reminds us that that he is present and that his angels are with us that's the first thing uh, the first sort of truth that we use to fight against fear it's it's this god is present We've seen this a lot. It's a recurring theme. But the first truth that I want us to think about is that God is present. That's how we deal with fear is with the truth that God is present. So we all know these visions that Jacob has. You know the stairway to heaven. Everyone knows that one. And we've got one coming, which is when Jacob wrestles with the angel. And we all know that one. But this one's sort of obscure in verses 1 and 2. Jacob's on his way. The angels of God meet him. And Jacob says this is God's camp. And so he names the place Mahanaim. So after leaving Laban, he is somewhere on his journey. He meets this band of angels, and he responds, this is God's camp. This is God's dwelling place, and he names it Mahanaim, meaning two camps. The thought could be, this is the Lord's camp, and I've got my camp here too, or it could refer to later when he splits himself into two camps. But whatever it means, it seems clear that God is again telling Jacob, I am with you. God in a very visible way, right before Jacob is entering into the land of Canaan to meet his brother once again, God comes to him and says, I am on your side. I will protect you. I will surround you with my holy angels. Remember this blessing of the presence of God? 
We often forget that God is for us, right? That he is, he is on our side. That he sends his angels to watch over us. Now, some people get a little too caught up with angels. But it's unbiblical to deny the reality of angels, isn't it? They are all over scripture. And so here we see that they represent God's protection over us. And that they are a real presence in our lives. And as Jacob gets ready to see Esau to return to this land where he had caused pain and that had caused him pain, God says to him, I'm with you. I am your protector. I will surround you with angels. So let me remind you of that today. If you are God's child through faith in Christ, God is for you. He surrounds you with his holy angels. He is your refuge and strength. He's a present help in trouble and you have nothing to fear i read these words in psalm 5 11 to 12 this week but let all who take refuge in you rejoice let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you for you bless the righteous O lord you cover him with favor as with a shield that's what god does for us he's our protector so what's distressing you today what fills your, your heart and your mind with fear and anxiety? Maybe you're walking into a difficult situation. Maybe you're just in a place of uncertainty. Maybe the sins of your past are haunting you. Maybe you have a family member or a coworker or a boss, someone at your school, and they just fill you with fear. Maybe you're facing some sort of health issue or a medical procedure. I think God, through his word to us this morning, says, I am with you. I will protect you. My angels surround you. And we as New Testament believers, we know not simply the the power of God's angels surrounding us, but we have the indwelling spirit of God within us all the time. Before Jesus leaves the disciples, he assures them that that his leaving marks the, the coming of who? The Comforter, the Holy Spirit who will come to us. And lead us into truth, the spirit who testifies with our spirit that that we're children of God. For children of God, then we're heirs, and he loves us. He leads us into truth. The spirit frees us from fear. He fills us with comfort. So sisters and brothers in Christ, the spirit is in you. God's presence is with you. His angels surround you. There's, There's nothing to fear. Surely God's presence is encouraging to Jacob. It brings some measure of peace. Just as at Bethel, remember, God reminds Jacob of his presence with him as he leaves the land. He does the same as he comes in. But all too soon, Esau becomes aware of the fast approaching presence of, I'm sorry, Jacob becomes aware of the fast approaching presence of of Esau. And we see in verses 2 through 8 that that Jacob sends messengers to meet his brother. um, And he sends them with deep humility. He says, tell them that, He calls himself um, Esau's servant. He says Esau is his Lord. He explains where he's been, how God has blessed him. And when the messengers return, they say, hey, Esau is coming to meet you. And 400 of his best friends are coming too. (laughs) Um, What's Jacob's response in verse 7? It says he is greatly afraid and distressed. Why? Because if Jacob has been sure of anything in his life ever, he is sure that Esau is coming to make good on the vow that he made, and he is going to kill Jacob. What would you do? (laughs) What would you do if the person who had vowed to kill you is coming towards you with 400 friends? How do you deal with that fear? 
what does Jacob do at the beginning? Well, he starts to frantically go around and he splits himself into two and he's planning some sort of escape. He's scheming because that's what Jacob does. But in the midst of the scheming, we, we hear him pray in verses 9 through 12. So here's another truth to help us fight fear. Not only God is, is present, but also God hears our prayers. That's a simple truth. We all know that, right? But let's think about it a little bit. God hears our prayers. In the midst of all of his planning, Jacob pauses and prays. And in that prayer, he teaches us how we are to pray in the midst of fear and distress. So I want to point out six things from Jacob's prayer in verses 9 through 12 that help us to know when we're distressed, when we're fearful, what's a pattern for prayer? How can I pray to God when I'm, when I'm scared? Okay. So I'm going to give you six things. Whether it's an individual or a situation or a circumstance that fills you with fear, here's how, you, how we can pray, how Jacob teaches us how to pray. Um, the first thing is who God is. So that's number one, who God is. Jacob calls on God, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. So he, he's not calling on false good gods. He's not calling on a, a multitude of gods, but he is calling on the one true and living God. These names, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, they identify God's faithfulness to the past generations. And Jacob places himself in that line of blessing. I am the son of Abraham. I am the son of Isaac. And this God who is their God, who was faithful to them, is my God. And he will be faithful to me, He draws on their lives. He draws on Abraham, who knew that God was the God who provides. He draws on his father Isaac, who had wells in the midst of the desert. He recalls this promise that God had made, that he would be with him and he would bring him back to the land of Canaan. Prayer always begins with who God is. When we pray and speak of who God is, we're not, we're not reminding God of, of who he is, but we are reminding ourselves we remind ourselves that we pray to him because of who he is, because of his character, because of his goodness, because of his love, because of his power, his presence, his all of his goodness to us. We, we can call on him as the one who is with Abraham and who is with us and who will be with us for all eternity. As Christians, what are we said to call God? Jesus teaches us how to pray and he says, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven. We call on God as a father, as the, the father who is good towards us, who loves us, as a father in heaven who is enthroned and in control, as the father who is the father of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's, he's made a way of salvation through the blood of the cross. We come boldly to God. Our understanding of who God is shapes the way that we pray. When we come to him, if we have a right understanding of all that God is, then it changes how we pray, and a right understanding of God brings forth powerful prayers. Which brings us to the question, how well do we know God? Do we know God rightly? When we come into him in prayer, do we have an understanding of his character that's informed by his word, that's so that we can be filled with a boldness to pray to him like, like we should? Have we read the scriptures? Do we know God's mighty deeds that would fill us with faith? Do we come to him and think, okay, this is the God that parted the Red Sea. This is the God that saved Daniel from the lion's den. This is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Do we think about that and understand who he is? Do we understand the foundations of his character? We read scripture 
so that we can know who he is. And as we read it, God reveals himself in a way that helps us to know who he is so that we can pray to him rightly. So all prayer begins with who God is, especially prayer in the midst of fear. Who is God in the midst of this? So that's where Jacob begins, who God is. As we speak of who God is, trusting in his character, we also talk about, number two, how we are obeying. How we are obeying. That that sounds strange, doesn't it? That we're going to tell God how we are obeying. But I think that Jacob, as he recalls God's words to him, he says there, he says, um, you're the one that told me, God, return to your country, to your kindred, that I may do you good. I think in some sense what Jacob is saying, God, he's saying, God, I, I am obeying your word. I am doing what you told me to do, but I feel like in obeying you, you're putting me into a place of danger. I don't think Jacob is claiming perfection. I think he's just saying, Lord, I'm walking in obedience. I'm following your word. This is what you have promised. Again, I think this is more for his own heart, probably, which is what so much prayer is. He knows his past actions have brought about this situation. But he also knows that he knows that he's presently, he's walking in obedience. There's a boldness that you can have in prayer, that we can have in prayer, when we are walking in holiness and in, in righteousness, isn't there? Surely we must confess our sins, and I think that's where that comes into play, is, is at this point. But we, we also are emboldened to say, Father, I'm, I'm seeking you. I'm trying to do what you're asking me to do. And, and, and you've said that those who walk in righteousness, that their path will be like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter. That's what you've said, God. And, and I, for all my failings and... In all my weaknesses, I'm, I'm trying to walk on that path. For me, it sounds like this. God, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So why is this happening to me? <laughs> I don't know if you ever had that prayer. I often have that early in the morning. You know, you get up early and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to spend time in the Word. And then I love my kids, but they wake up and I just keep thinking, Lord, I was trying to, to do what you've asked me to do. Help me to be patient. Help me to, to deal with this rightly. There's a boldness that comes when we have that, though. I, I think confession and repentance naturally come into play here as we speak of ways that we're, we're striving to be faithful to God. We'll also see the ways that we've failed and we'll be humbled as we speak about the victories that God has, has given us. And I think that's why what flows out next is um, ways we have been blessed, ways we've been undeservedly blessed. So we think about who God is. We think about how we are being obedient. We think about ways we have been undeservedly blessed. That's how we're praying. Jacob recalls to mind God's steadfast love, his faithfulness over the past 20 years. He remembers. He says, you know, I was here about 20 years ago, and you know what I had? I had the clothes on my back, and I had the staff in my hand. And now look what I have. I have all of these animals, and I've got 550 to spare. He knows that all he has is not because of his goodness, but it's because of God's grace. Again, God knows what he's done, but Jacob is reminding himself of God's immeasurable goodness to him. Thanksgiving, seeing the ways that God has blessed us, it, it kind of puts things in perspective for us. We pause and we see God's character. We see how his goodness to us. And, and it, it sort of slows your pulse down a little bit in the midst of fear and anxiety. Thankfulness is kind of like a... It's like a deep breath, okay? You know, when you get fearful and anxiety, we take a deep breath. Thankfulness is like a deep breath for our soul. And it says, God, God has been good. 
Why would he stop now? Why would God stop being good to me? Look at all the ways that he's been good to me. When we focus on our situation, we're filled with anxiety. But thankfulness sort of zooms out, as it were. You know, maybe like one of these, um, what are the helicopters everyone has now? You see, you know, with the, the GoPro on it, and they zoom up, and you can see the view of so many different things. It's sort of like that. We zoom out, and we see our problem here. But it's in the middle of, of the ocean of all that God has done for us. And we say, oh, God has been so good, and, and I'm focusing so much on this small thing. And we're filled with thankfulness. We see, God, you have done so much good to me. And now it puts things in perspective for us. Of course, the situation's still there, right? I mean, it's not, it doesn't make the situation disappear. The situation is still there. And so as we continue to pray, we also, fourthly, we pray for what we need. So we said who God is, how we are obeying, ways we have been blessed, and what we need. We're needy, right? There's no doubt about that. And God is glorified when we come to him and we acknowledge that he alone can help us. Jacob is clear about what he desires. He says, Lord, deliver me from my brother Esau. When we see who God is, when we know that we're seeking to walk with him, we're seeking to honor him, when we are reminded of how God has blessed us, we're emboldened to ask for what we need in a clear way. Because we know God loves us. God has power to to answer us. Our conscience is clear, and, and, and we know he has been good to, good to us, so we say, why would he stop? God seems to like answering my prayers. And so we boldly and clearly request what we need. And all that happens in part because of all this work we've done on the front end, understanding who God is, confessing our sins, seeing the way that we're, we're walking rightly, um, and being filled with thanksgiving for all that God has done. Then we, we pray for these things, we request things in such a way that it is in line with who he is. And as Jacob requests this, you see how he requests it. He says it in um, verse 11. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. And then he gives sort of two reasons. For I fear him. And then verse 12, but you said. So he says, I'm afraid, but you said. So as we continue to think about these six things, number five would be how we feel. As we're praying to God in the midst of fear and distress, we tell him, how we feel. Jacob asked for deliverance. Why? He says, because I'm scared, God. I'm so scared. I'm scared that Esau is going to kill me. And what else is he scared of? He's scared for the mothers with the children. He's scared that he's going to wipe out his whole family. This is a threat to the blessing of God, isn't it? Who is Jacob? He's the promised seed. What could Esau do? He could wipe it out. He could wipe out the blessing of God. And this is a fear that Jacob has. Young and old, there are things in our lives that are really, truly scary. Let's just admit that. I read an article called Why I Write Scary Stories by a guy named N.D. Wilson. My kids have read a book called 100 Cupboards by him. He says, I write violent stories. I write dark stories. I write them for my own children, and I write them for yours. (laughs) And when the topic comes up with a radio host or a mom or a teacher in a hallway, the explanation is simple. Every kid in every classroom, every kid in a bunk bed frantically reading by flashlight, that's my kids, every latchkey kid and every helicoptered kid, every single mortal child is growing into a life story in a world full of dangers and beauties. 
Everyone will have struggles, and ultimately everyone will face death and loss. It's true, isn't it? But to reject the idea that there are scary and distressing things in this world is to reject the world because it's a scary place. And not just for children. There, there are fears that we may never grow out of as children, and there are fears that as adults we sort of grow into. And, and I don't think that, that faith means that we are immune from fear. Jesus himself seems distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't he? There's some real anxiety that's going on there, yet Jesus has perfect faith. Faith doesn't deny that the world is a scary place. It just simply chooses to fear God more than the world. It chooses to hand fear over to the Father. So when fear threatens to take hold, faith goes to God and takes hold of Him. There are certainly moments of fear and distress for those that are faithful, but if we're walking with the Lord, they will melt into trust. I think it's good to be honest in prayer, isn't it? I feel like, just Jacob's honesty, God, I am so scared. It's okay to say that when you pray, you know. It's okay to, to say, this is how I'm feeling, God. I'm so fearful. I'm so distressed. I'm, I'm just filled with anxiety, God. That we, we hold that out to him. And then in faith, finally, the sixth thing is we go to what God has said. What God has said. Jacob says, I'm scared. And then in verse 12, he says, but you said, God, let me tell you what you said, Lord. You said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. I'm scared that Esau is going to kill all of my kids. But you told me that that wasn't going to happen. And so I'm holding you to your word. You know, when Jacob does that, and when we do that in prayer, it's as if we take this promise of God and we lift it up to God's eyes. But as we do that, we see it too. I see the promise of what God has said. Andy Wilson, he later in that article says that he writes these scary stories to also communicate that good will win. G.K. Chesterton said, fairy tales do not tell children that the dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children the dragons can be killed. I think the promises of God are like fairy tales, except that they're true. They seem almost too good to be true, but as we, we look at Scripture, we see that, that God is going to defeat every foe in the end. And we need to know these promises of God's word so that when we are fearful and we say, God, I'm scared, we can then say, but you said, <laughs> Lord, I want to hold this out so I can see it. And so we can all just sort of meditate on this for a minute. This is what you told me. And as we hold that before our eyes, it emboldens us to trust him. Pilgrim's progress, Christian. What's the key that gets him out of, out of giant despair's house? the key of promise it's the key of promise it's it's the truth of what god has said he will do when we're in doubting castle and despair wants to take us over promise the truth of god's word is what will allow us to escape what if we don't know the promises it's going to be hard to get out we need to arm ourselves every day with the truth or we will fall into fear and despair 
We need to help others. We need to hold the truth before others in prayer and through God's word to encourage them. I could give you a list of promises, but we have God's word before us. We're blessed with this. When I tell you read your Bible, it's not so that you can feel guilty for not reading your Bible. It's so that you can not have fear every day. So that we can step into God's word and say, this is who God is. I know who God is, and that's how I'm going to pray to him. I know the promises that he's made. I know what he said is true. The truth is going to help us fight fear. So who God is, how we are obeying, ways we've been undeservedly blessed, what we need, how we feel, and what God has said. These are what we bring. Now, these are all on this paper. If I muddled one or misspoke or something. What I, what I would encourage you and what I would like to try to do as well is to, to think through how to pray. And I, I just put some prompts here, who God is, God you are, and that we would pray through these things. There's, there's seven things on here. You might do one a day for this week and just meditate on, on praying through this. You might use this as a means of, of how to pray, to, to write some things down as you pray. It's okay to write and pray. That's some of the best ways I know how to pray is to write what I'm thinking but this will lead us to, we have models of prayer like acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And this is just another one taken from Jacob's prayer. And you can go to, to, to Genesis 32 and read it and then just apply it to our own situations. And it helps us to deal with the fear and the anxiety that comes into our lives. And we need it. So the truths that help us fight fear, the truth that God is present, the truth that God hears our prayers, and finally, just briefly, The truth that God doesn't need our plans. How do we fight fear? By remembering that God doesn't need our plans. So Jacob prays. Then he gets 550 animals to give to Esau. (laughs) He's clear in verse 20 why he's doing that. Verse 20 says that he says, I thought maybe I will appease him. And then later on he says, perhaps he will accept me. What about those angels that you met on the way, Esau? What about the prayer that you just prayed? Where's your hope? Is your hope in God or is it in all these animals? Who do you fear? Who do you want to please? Is it God or is it Esau? It just shows us we can pray and we can be a lot like Jacob too. I think a lot of this is actually rooted in Jacob's misunderstanding of of who he is and of the promise. He's not Esau's servant, like he says. Who is he? He's Esau's Lord. That's what God told him. He gave him that promise. He is, he is not Esau's servant. It's the other way around. And God's going to help him see who he is. And we're going to kind of step into that next week because I think that's what happens when, um, when, when Jacob wrestles with the angel. What does God do to him? He gives him a new name. I think Jacob is wrestling with his identity about who he is. I think that's part of this. But at least what's, what's going on here, at the minimum, Soon after this vision of God's presence and this wonderful prayer, Jacob is back to his old ways. He's trying to take the matter into his own hands. And, of of course, there's times when we're called to act, okay? Faith is not inactive. But sometimes it's most active when we actually do nothing but trust the Lord. Remember we saw last week with Brother Lawrence that sometimes we hide all the Bibles in the car, and sometimes we take them out and put them on the front seat, right? That's what he did. Sometimes God often tells us to fight. And sometimes he helps us to know how to do that. And then sometimes he tells us to go into battle with just, why don't you take a sling and 
and five stones. Is that a pigeon? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so sometimes <laughs> he tells us, you got to fight, and we want to take the armor of Saul and use that to fight. But he says, no, just take a, a sling and some stones. That's how you're going to fight. We trust God. We we put on faith and we're, we we pray. That's that's how we, we battle. I thought about Isaiah. In Isaiah 36 and 37, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, comes against God's people. And he sends his messenger, Reb Shekha. Do you remember? The, this is a great scene in Isaiah 30, 36 and 37. If you want to read something, read it with your family. It's It's great. And he comes to the city and he, he starts railing against God's people. And he, he says, you know, don't listen to King Hezekiah when he tells you to trust the Lord. Because we've defeated everyone. All the other gods of this world, they've fallen before us. And no one can stand before Assyria. So don't listen to Hezekiah. And everyone listened to Hezekiah who told them don't answer him a word. And they're all silent. And they bring a letter from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, to Hezekiah that says basically surrender or die. And what does Hezekiah do? Do you remember? It's a beautiful scene. He takes the letter, this this thing that would bring fear into him and to his people, and he spreads it out in the temple before the Lord. And he prays. And he prays and he prays and he, and he is humbly admitting his deep need. And what does God say? God declares to him in Isaiah 37, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then it says, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, oh how bold he was, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. I think that's sometimes what God wants us to do, is to come to him in our fear and not to come up with all the ways that we're going to solve the problem, but to say, God, you are present, you are strong, here is who you are, you will fight my battles for me. And then we pray and we lay it out before him and he deals with it and he does it for his glory and for our good. We're afraid we want to act, but God doesn't need our plans. God doesn't need our schemes. Fear is a part of our lives. But for some of us, it's, it's more so, right? Some of us, every day is, is difficult. For others, it's maybe specific times. But we all need to know how to respond when fear and anxiety come to us. And what Jacob teaches us is this. Here's, our, here's a big summary statement. We can fight fear with the truth of God's presence and the power of prayer without resorting to our own plans. We can fight fear. How? How do we fight fear? With the truth of God's presence and the power of prayer without resorting to our own plans. I can testify to you this week on Wednesday that I was not scared. And I don't know why, because I'm a worrier. I'm filled with anxiety. Actually, I do know why, I think. I think it was the prayers of God's people. I think that people praying for for my family and for my son helped me to understand God's presence, that he was with me. 
that you all are a visible example of the fact that God cares for his people as you cared for our family in praying. And just a simple thing, but still it was big for us. And I was filled with, with I was not filled with fear, but with, with peace from God, trusting who he is. This isn't positive thinking, okay? This isn't just some sort of rationalization. This stuff works when we're scared. God has given us the means to not be filled with fear and to help us deal with it and not let it plague us. So in closing, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, then you have things to be scared of, of sin and of judgment and of enemies. And the solution to your fear and to your enemies and to your sin is not plans. It's not your own ingenuity, your own works. Rather, it's to pray. It's to recognize that God is the one true living God, the creator of the world. To acknowledge that apart from God, you can't walk in his ways. And in fact, you walk far from him and you have no desire to be a part of who he is. That you would see all of God's goodness and give thanks to him for his common grace, his mercy in giving you what you don't deserve and his grace in blessing you. And then you would say, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me from my sin. Deliver me from the, your wrath against my sin. And then hold on to the truths of God's word, God's word, the promises that he says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the truth that to all who receive him, to those who believe in, name, in his name, what has he done? He's given us the right to become children of God. And if you are a child of God through faith in Christ, then don't be afraid. Trust God's presence. That he is with us through his spirit and through his, his surrounding angels. Trust the power of prayer. Knowing that God is for us. And if God is for us, then who could be against us, right? Even our final enemy, death itself, has been completely and utterly defeated. So, again, we can fight fear. How do we do it? With the truth of God's presence and the power of prayer without resorting to any of our own 